Third years. This is going to be something a little different, something maybe maybe we haven't actually crossed paths with yet. But I have a feeling or I just kind of get the sense that we're actually big and bold enough now at this point, you know, to sit down and listen to a podcast for 10 minutes. We don't need to see something physically in front of us. And I just feel like we're mature enough to maybe explore this avenue and see how we find that. You know, I probably am stressing to you at this point that, you know, I'm getting on myself now and I'm still actually exploring the best way for me to learn. And this is just a different way that we can engage or absorb the content that we're going to cover at junior cycle history the format of these podcasts is going to be really really simple so there's going to be three stages to the podcast i'm going to try keep them shorter than 10 minutes i'll do my best you know there's a lot to cover so some if we go over a minute or two that's just the name of the game unfortunately but first of all i'm going to explain what we need to know from this kind of unit of learning or this chapter from the junior cycle course then we're going to cover the content so we'll go over kind of the historical context of what took place and i'll just talk us through what is the main things we need to know and then we're going to finish the podcast just with a kind of hot take section and really kind of just narrowing down what you need to know so you can focus on the main hot takes or the takeaways from that chapter okay first podcast we are going to cover the drift to war or the lead up to world war Two, and there's kind of three main things we need to take away from the lead up to world war Two. so what we need to know firstly is what were four of hitler's main aims for germany pre-world war Two. Secondly, we need to know what was the attitude of France and Britain towards Hitler's Germany. And then finally, we need to be able to discuss the consequences of the Munich Conference and the Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact. So as I progress through the content of our kind of three main points here now, what you need to be kind of focusing in on is what were Hitler's main aims for Germany pre-World War II, the attitude of France and Britain, and listen out for the consequences of the Munich Conference and the Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact. So diving straight into the content, really. So Hitler's four main aims for Germany pre-World War II. So we need to think before or after World War I. So the Treaty of Versailles had weakened Germany. Its restrictions were basically unacceptable to Hitler and he planned on breaking them to restore Germany to power. His four main aims or goals to achieve this was firstly rebuilding the German army and navy, secondly reoccupying the Rhineland, then he wanted to regain territory lost after World War I and he wanted to create a great German empire which would be known as the Third Reich. But Hitler knew France and Germany did not want another war and he was careful to push a small piece at a time. And you're going to see that pop up as I discuss how Hitler achieved his main goals. He really took a small step at a time and just kept chipping away at the policies or the way that France and Britain dealt with the situation. And you'll see this reoccur throughout the topic. So rebuilding the German army and navy. So once again making reference to the Treaty of Versailles here the Treaty of Versailles had restricted the German army to 100,000 men and banned it from having an air force tanks or submarines so in 1933 Hitler withdrew Germany from the League of Nations as a way of kind of starting his rebuild and really taking these small steps to see how far he could push push 
Britain and France. Later then in 1935, the Anglo-German naval agreement was signed between Germany and Britain. And this just meant that the German Navy could be the same size as the British Navy. Britain did not consult France or Italy before signing the deal. And this just gave Hitler so much encouragement in his pursuit of rebuilding the army. Also in 1935, Hitler reintroduced conscription into Germany, and this just meant that people had to undertake a certain amount of time in the military as part of law in Germany. So you literally had no choice but to join the army. And this just increased the size of the army past the limits set out by the Treaty of Versailles. So then, once again, we can see year by year um, Hitler kind of taking or pushing that limit just that little bit further to see the reaction or gauge the reaction by France and Britain. And the last step in Hitler's rebuild was to create an air force so that the Luftwaffe was born, and that's going to pop up throughout the kind of context of World War II. And there were no steps. It's just really important to note that there were no steps taken by Britain or France to stop Germany's military expansion, which obviously would have gave Hitler kind of great encouragement in his pursuit of rebuilding the army and the navy. The second step set out by Hitler to kind of regain or create this great German empire was to reoccupy reoccupy the Rhineland. So German troops had been forbidden to occupy the region bordering France, which was called the Rhineland. And in March 1936, Hitler sent troops into the Rhineland with orders to retreat if France sent its army to meet them. Once again, France or Britain did not react and just encouraged Hitler in his movement towards building this Third Reich even further. So next we move on to discuss how Hitler planned to build the Third Reich or Reich. So first on the list was Lebensraum, and this was just what Hitler called his plan to build the German ent- Empire. And he wanted to take over Austria first. So the Treaty of Versailles specifically stated that Germany and Austria could not unite. But we just kind of have to remember at the time Austria was a German-speaking country. And of course it was Hitler's birthplace. So in February 1938 Hitler threatened the Austrian Chancellor with war unless he let Nazis into his government. An agreement was then signed which absorbed Austria into the Third Reich. Once again Britain and France did not interfere. Can we start to see the pattern beginning to form on Britain and France's reaction and how Hitler kind of went step by step, piece by piece on kind of building the Third Reich and how this led to the drift to World War II. As Hitler began to note Europe's lack of authority and blowback from his actions, he realized that he could push the boat even further. His next aim was to absorb Czechoslovakia, once again a German-speaking nation, into the Third Reich. So the German-speaking regions of Czechoslovakia were known as the Sudetenland. The German-speaking natives of this region were encouraged by Nazi propaganda to campaign for independence. So the propaganda made it look as though Czechoslovakia had been mistreating the Germans living there. This is just important to know as we get further down the podcast and cover more of the content. This will be particularly important when we're looking at the Munich Conference, for example. So moving on to kind of discuss... The attitude of France and Britain at the time. So up to this point, France and Britain stood by with no response to Hitler, rebuilding the army, entering the Rhineland and joining forces with Austria. And there were basically like five reasons for this. So firstly, France did not want to risk a war over the Rhineland as the actual size of the German army was unknown. 
France believed that its system of fortification along its eastern border with Germany would be enough to prevent an attack. So fortification is essentially a tactic of like building a defensive wall or a buffer zone between the two nations. Thirdly, many people in Britain believed the Treaty of Versailles or the restrictions of the Treaty of Versailles were too harsh on Germany and led to them feeling kind of sympathetic towards them, which is ironic when you think about what's what's about to happen. For the memory of World War One was still fresh in Britain, and the thought of another war was horrific. And in five, France and Britain were very concerned with Stalin and the threat of communism in Europe, and Hitler's right regime were strongly anti-communist and they thought they kind of could have found some common ground on this part this is where this policy of appeasement comes into play so as we have already been made aware of the awareness of the lives lost in world war one was still fresh in britain and france so in 1934 millions of british people voted for a pro peace approach to britain's foreign policy moving forward so they didn't want more the people in britain kind of experienced world war one they seen death with their own eyes and they wanted this kind of peaceful movement moving forward so the policy of appeasement involved agreeing to hitler's demands in hopes of avoiding war neville chamberlain who was British Prime Minister in 1937 was quoted as saying we should seek by all means in our power to avoid war but Hitler's kind Hitler kind of seen Britain's reluctance to engage and he took advantage of that and that's how we're going to see now that's what we're going to see now with the Munich conference and the Nazi Soviet non-aggression pact moving on to discuss the Munich conference and this is where everything kind of comes to a head and we can see how Hitler's tactical movements kind of come to fruition. So in September 1938, Neville, Mussolini of Italy, Daladier of France and Hitler met for the Munich conference to discuss the idea of Czechoslovakia and the Sudetenland. They agreed to surrender the area of the Sudetenland to Germany. What's important to note here is that Czechoslovakia was not part of the talks and were not invited to the Munich conference. And that's just really funny to think about that you know, the country who owns that piece of land were not involved in the negotiations or the talks to whether or not they should give up a piece of land. That's just really important to know. And as part of the deal, Hitler promised to not demand for more territory. Chamberlain actually returned to Britain claiming to have achieved peace for our time, which is a really, really famous quote when we look back in history and see what kind of took place after this so dealing with the consequences of the munich conference in march 1939 hitler broke the munich conference munich conference agreement and took over the rest of czechoslovakia it was at this point it was just so obvious now that the policy of appeasement had been a failure for france and britain as a result of hitler's movements britain began to rearm itself reintroduced conscription to the army and made agreements with france and poland against hitler so britain and france basically agreed to come to poland's aid if hitler if germany invaded they had hoped stalin would agree to the same but talks with him broke down and finally i'm going to go through the nazi soviet non-aggression pact really quick because i'm very conscious of the time so fascism and communism were natural enemies to hitler and the rest of europe and he had sworn to his followers to eliminate communism 
So it was a huge shock to kind of everyone when Hitler and Stalin agreed and signed the Nazi-Soviet Non-Aggression Pact in 1939, which can also be known as the Molotov and Ribbentrop Pact. They were just two key figures involved in the talks or or the discussions. So they agreed upon a 10-year period when they would not attack each other or help their enemies. A secret clause was involved in this pact that agreed to split up Poland when Germany eventually took over the country. This pact led Stalin to believe that he was safe from German attack while his army was not ready for war. Hitler was planning on invading Poland and this pact meant that he did not have to worry about a Soviet and Stalin reaction in the East. It's just important to note how both leaders and both countries benefited from this this kind of pact or agreement. So by taking Western Poland, Hitler would gain the strategically important city of Danzig and reclaim the Polish corridor, which which was just an area that kind of was made up of a lot of former German territory pre-World War One. And then on September 1st, 1939, Germany invaded Poland. Two days later, Britain and France declared war on Germany. World War Two had begun. And extra quick are hot takes from this chapter. Number one, that you can explain Hitler's foreign policies and how he carried them out. Number two, you can describe France and Britain's attitudes towards Hitler and explain their policy of appeasement. Was it a success or not? Number three, you can explain the Munich conference, its consequences and the Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact. Three hot takes. That's us, folks. Speak soon.